Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode six of Naked Data Science, the number one podcast on leading data science projects and teams in the real world. This is a guest interview episode with Min Fang. Min was trained as a computational linguist, worked as a data scientist, and became a team lead of data scientists and software engineers. She is interested in data-driven problem solving by applying natural language processing, machine learning, and statistical analysis. She also enjoys building strong teams that deliver these data-driven solutions. In this episode, Min and I talk about her journey from an individual contributor to a team lead, the importance of being explicit about uncertainty, how to get the most value out of offline evaluations, and other lessons she learned along the way. Enjoy. All right, welcome to another episode of Naked Data Science. I have here with me Min. Welcome, Min. Thank you very much. So, imagine if you can have a pop-up window showing up on every single data scientist's laptop. What message would you put in that pop-up window? Hmm. So it's something that's coming from my experience,、um, but on the other hand, I would also say that it probably applies to. A lot of different fields, a lot of professions, not only to data science and data scientists.、Um, but what I found very useful、uh, in my professional life,、uh, and what I've appreciated a lot in coworkers and colleagues of mine, is when they are very explicit about when they are uncertain about certain things. And in the field of data science, there is inherently a lot of uncertainty. A lot of the things when we start doing them, or some question we're trying to answer, some problem we're trying to solve, we have maybe some ideas about how we can tackle those. But really, before we start working on it and digging into the data and doing the modeling and doing the analysis, we don't really know if it will work out or not. It will actually solve the problem. It will actually answer the question we're looking at. So I, I love it when people are very explicit about it. That okay, these are some ideas. I, you know, we we think this might work, but really we don't know. The more I think about it, the the less it applies only to data science. I think in general,、um, in profession professional life, when you interact with your colleagues, when you share your knowledge, when you report certain things, you want to make sure that the person who you're communicating to, or the people that you're communicating to, they can place this on a range at least. In terms of uncertainty, and it's totally fine when you don't know certain things. That happens a lot, or when you're not sure about certain things. But just say it, especially in data science.、Um, is so. So your question, <laughs> what to put on a pop-up? Obviously, my answer right now was not very word perfect, but maybe you get the sense of it. So it's it's kind. Of, it's something about uncertainty. I want people to be explicit about. Being uncertain about things. So I think a lot of times you either you have some intuition about it based on your past experience, based on some data points you already saw, or it is a, it can be a totally data-driven quantification of the uncertainty, right? And I think we're in the in the business in the field of data science. That's a lot of times the core topic we're dealing with: how to quantify uncertainty and then how to maybe even draw conclusions in the face of uncertainty, right? And I think this is very important、um, to always be aware of. And again, to reiterate, there's no expectation from people to know everything. I'd rather someone tells me, okay, I, I don't know this. I have some assumptions, but you know, they might be wrong. I'm going to check it, and here's how. 
rather than someone telling me, okay, I'm going to solve your problem in the next three weeks, and then you're, you're for sure going to have an answer to this problem. And whenever someone actually says that, I'm very mistrustful of this answer, unless they can give me like, you know, very, very concrete uh, data points or evidence for that kind of uh, promise. Can you give a specific example of this related to data science work? Maybe to give kind of example of uh, what my team currently is working on. We're a pretty new team in a new setup, tackling a new topic. Most people working on this topic don't have a lot of experience with the specific data types that we're working with, or let's say content types for this topic. So the idea is that we should allow users to be able to compare different kinds of accommodations, uh, hotels, apartments, villas, uh, B&Bs, and so on. And the type of accommodations we're looking at, they're what you would call long-tail accommodations. So there's not a lot of data. They usually don't get a lot of bookings. We simply do not know a lot about it. And the data that we have is also more limited, right? Just because of the nature of these accommodations compared to you know, your run-of-the-mill four or five-star hotel where you have just way more data, way more visitors, and so on and so forth. And because this is a new topic for all the team members, and because we work with data that we don't know yet, there is a lot of uncertainty. Whatever feature, whatever prototype, whatever model we build on top of it, it has to be understood between all the people involved that because you have uncertainty in the input data, whatever comes out of it, you might have more uncertainty even. So there's some kind of propagation, let's say, from the input towards the output. And that also means that all the team members have to be aware of it and make certain decisions accordingly, right? But all of these things you can only do if you are hyper aware that these decisions need to be influenced by the uncertainty of the quality of your input data or the amount of the input data. How do you develop that awareness? At least for me, it's not something that comes naturally. Maybe even we can speculate as human beings, we prefer to have some kind of certainty, and uncertainty is kind of uncomfortable. But then I, I also think that just doing the job helps you to accept this uncertainty more. If you have maybe people around you who are aware of this as well and who maybe even encourage you to, to some extent, embrace the uncertainty, right? But at least accept the uncertainty. And it is super important, I think, uh, in the end, to be in an environment where you have this kind of support also from the business as a whole, right? So if, if the business as a whole doesn't accept that there is uncertainty in the work you do, then, yeah, maybe you're not in the right place. Or you need to find a way to change it or find supporters who can change it. At the end of the day, Again, I think it's something so inherent in, in data science work, and one might even argue that it's not only in data science work, but tech in general, that some level of acceptance is almost like prerequisite for, for things to work well. And if you want to not only lead a successful organization, but actually also make the people in your organization a priority. So make sure that people get to develop and find a way to contribute to the business, but then also to develop themselves. A win-win, as you might call it. So changing the place you work in is, is a lot of work, right? You need to find jobs, you need to apply for that. <laughs> Let's say that's kind of like the, the, the last resort. So if you're working with a business person, or you're working, say, with a product manager that is going to integrate the data science work output that you create into certain products, certain features, 
And you have a feeling that that person is not aware of this uncertain nature of your work. What would be one way to communicate that to this business person or product person? I think it also very much, of course, depends on the product person that you have, right? I, I think you need to have some minimum amount of awareness and openness towards uh, these topics. For example, we were recently doing a project where we don't have ground truth data, uh, meaning we f we have to solve a problem that is kind of, let's say, vaguely described, but we don't have any traffic data or any automatically logged data in order to verify if our prototype or data set actually solves that problem. What we had to do instead was that we actually needed to get human annotations. We needed to ask people the question that we are aiming at tackling and then see how humans answer these questions. And we gave these annotations to different team members, to data scientists, to engineers, but also to product managers, to teams that we collaborate with closely. This was, for example, one instance where we wanted to make sure that the people who are not as close to working with the data and the technology realize, to some extent, the difficulty of the problem and also give them kind of an insight about why this problem could be difficult to solve and why there is usually not one single solution. Because in this kind of examples, you can see how ambiguous the space is, right? A lot of times, no matter what topic you're looking at, you ask different people to answer this question, you will get different answers. And if you show this, for example, to the product manager, um, I hope at least they will also realize or understand the complexity of the problem a little bit more. And then therefore also there might be different approaches, different approaches with different certainty levels, with different potential. I think that's a very powerful way of doing it. By doing this, by giving them the task of helping you to come up with evaluation data, they now have first-hand experience on how uncertain or how ambiguous even the quality definition or quality standards can be. Absolutely. And that is a very powerful thing because this is not things you come across in business or in product on normal daily basis. Or at least this is not so common yeah. when you don't work with data-intensive solutions and data science work. Yeah, and when you actually look at different examples, you will realize things that if you don't think about it closely, it will seem very, very easy. Like, okay, you know, why, why don't you just uh, tag this photo as a cat or dog or something? But then you, in these examples, you will, will end up seeing pictures where there's uh, cats and dogs and there's, I don't know, a cat uh, with a dog costume or, or something like that. So you will see like those ambiguous um, examples. And another thing is that when several people do this and you uh, maybe show product managers or, or whoever is interested, the disagreement between the people, you give maybe another sense to them about what you think might even not be the majority opinion. So what you think in the end might just be a, an, an edge case. And in, in fact, the majority thinks com something completely different. So then you have another level added to the complexity of the problem slash the solution or solutions. I think it's very common in human nature to say, oh, I look at this picture, of course this is a good picture. Or if I read all this information about this accommodation, of course it's a great accommodation. How could it be other way? Yeah. But in our cases, yeah, whether it being trying to come up with solutions to evaluate image quality, or in your case, evaluating how good a accommodation is, we see that actually it's not that a non-brainer. Yeah. Actually, people do disagree a lot. Exactly. And, and I think when you can get this point across, 
the acceptance of this uncertainty mm. is, I think, more given at mm. least or, or easier to be obtained. Because then if your product manager sees that, all right, my inter-annotator agreement with this person is uh, only 70%, I think then for us as a team, it's also easier to explain, okay, you know, if humans agree only to 70%, either this is good enough for your business case, or you might have to rethink the problem task, rethink your problem, or maybe find a more clear, more specific sub-problem in some sense. So it gives you maybe some, some idea about where you are at with, uh, with this kind of approach. All this is offline evaluation. Why don't we just do online evaluation? If you're maybe a one-man company and you have one single small product, maybe that is very much possible and maybe it's even the ideal way to do it. But for all practical purposes and most real business uh, cases, I think that is simply not possible. In our case, many times, I, I think, of course, we're trying to get our ideas and our solutions validated through online testing. But in order to get there, first of all, it takes a lot of time. You have to align with different teams. You have to find ways to tease out what is the effect of your contribution versus maybe the design or um, other parts of the system. Usually you're contributing to a very large system, so there's many different uh, variables that you might not be aware of that are changing. Even if, let's say, you have a way to tease that apart and you have a way to test your prototype online, you have to somehow decide until you get there what to test. And unless you can test online within the next two weeks, you probably will have time to actually iterate on all different approaches. And again, we don't know beforehand what method is going to be the best, which approach is going to solve the problem we're tackling. So you need to somehow already before you manage to go into online testing, find a way to find the most promising approach, right? This is the reason why we take the offline approach first so that we can iterate quickly and then hopefully if we chose reasonable metrics here to look at, we would be able to identify one or maybe several models or prototypes that we think have the most potential to also succeed in online testing. And then maybe even determine, let's say, an order of testing or, or things like that. And anyways, I think if possible, you want to get some sense of the performance of your model or prototype, right? But then, you, of course, you need to invest and actually get this offline evaluation data or find a way to reuse data you already have in some way to apply to your data that is sometimes possible, sometimes not. A lot of times in real-life data science projects, doing offline evaluation really allows you to iterate much faster so you have a shorter feedback loop. And one point previously mentioned is that it also allows you to iterate based on feedback also from the adjacent teams that will right. use your data, the key stakeholders, so that when you put your work to online testing, people don't get surprised when things don't work out as expected. Since my team uh, is a back-end team only, we work with another team in order to actually design and implement the front-end features. Um, a lot of times there might be requirements that you only realize when you show them something that you already built. Because when you don't have anything and you just talk kind of theoretically about the problem or the approaches that we're taking, it is not always very clear to them what are the repercussions of the decisions we make. And a lot of times, not all the assumptions that both parties have will surface to the conversation. 
So up until the point where both parties have not seen what it actually will look like on the front end, there might still be hidden assumptions, hidden expectations that somehow you didn't manage to tease out. So a lot of the, the process is also about trying to tease out all the expectations and all the implied assumptions from both parties, from the front end uh, people that uh, do the design and actually, for example, product uh, owner that uh, wants to solve a user problem. And then also on our side, the data people that work with uh, specific kinds of data, where we also make some assumptions, we maybe make certain decisions in our modeling process that fit better with certain assumptions and maybe less well with other assumptions. Yeah, there is a lot of power and a lot of value in looking at the data with the team that will use your data. Because if you don't do that, if you just look at the statistics, if you just look at the aggregated metrics, yeah you don't really get a good sense no. of how this data is when it's going to be used in the real world application. So I think that's a very long pop-up window message. <laughs> and, I, and, I <laughs> and I think we can maybe then, you have been a data science team lead for two years now. Mm -hmm. What are some of the lessons you have hmm. learned in this journey? Yeah, there's a few. So I. I was first a data scientist, an individual contributor, and then became a lead. And I think there's a big mindset switch that you need to make uh, when you have a transition like this. As an individual contributor, you work on a, on a project, you have your input, you have a, a model, you at some point figure out what are the things you want to do, you do it, you can see somehow whether or not you came close to solving the problem. At the end of the day, you know what you did. You maybe checked off a few things from your to-do list in terms of what, you, what ideas you wanted to try out in your modeling process. And that, to me at least, always felt very gratifying. I could close the day with, uh, I've done this, I've done the modeling, I've done the analysis or whatever. Like. With the lead position, I think that's quite different because sure, there's a few tasks that you can put in a to-do list and you can check them off easily. For example, you need to do an interview or you need to create a case study or something like that. But a lot of the things that you do as a lead, it's a long-term investment or at least mid-term investment, let's say. When you do one-on-ones, it's not something that immediately you solve all the problems or something like that, right? In fact, you're not supposed to solve all your team members' problems. You're supposed to help them to grow to solve their own problems, right? But these are all things that take longer to see if and how it's working, whatever you do there as someone who liked contributing as, as an individual contributor and then transitioning into this role, this was quite challenging, let's say, because I, I was suddenly lacking these very short-term gratification points. And then, of course, I mean, as a lead, there is just more people topics that you deal with, which can be sometimes uh, quite heavy, let's say. But then again, it is rewarding in the long term uh, but then you, you have to keep that in mind, right? So that, that is something that might take a longer period for you to see what you have actually been working on. Yeah. Um, is it just about keeping that in mind? Uh, or do you also do some other things that kind of balance the more long-term oriented work? Yes, indeed. So that's also one thing that I, I concluded for myself, at least, that for me, it's super important to still find time to do some hands-on work, to get that itch scratched. 
But there, like, I, you need to keep in mind, I think, as lead, that this is something that maybe doesn't always take priority, right? So there are probably things where, you know, if you need to hire someone, if a new topic comes up and people don't know yet what to do, you know, this is maybe where you should focus your time on. But for me personally, having some time, trying to find some time where I can still do some analysis or, or help with modeling and definitely doing uh, something together with my team members. That is something that is very energy giving to me. So if I just sit down with the team members and we do some brainstorming or we do kind of a pair coding session or maybe just me asking some questions because I genuinely don't know the technique they're using. Right. And I just want to find out, OK, how does it work? This is always very very gratifying. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's super important to, to keep on your schedule. Do you have to deal, or how do you deal with the fact that you are the IT lead, and now you are also wearing the data scientist or the individual contributor hat and doing pair work with them? Does the team lead position play a factor in that? And if so, how do you deal with it? Right. So I think this one really depends on the team, what team members you have and what is, let's say, the team culture that you have. I think in the team that I lead, this is not a big issue. My feeling, you have to ask my team members, of course, but but my feeling at least is that we can speak very openly. I often get challenged. I will express my opinion, what I think and express why I think that. Sometimes I will also add, okay, this is the pure data perspective, but here's the business perspective, which is something that as an individual contributor, you might not always be aware of, or you might just not know, or you might not care that much, uh, in fact, also, right? But it's my job to put that onto the table and say, okay, look, have you considered this also? At least with my team members, I have had the experience that we challenge each other to make sense. (laughs) So when we propose something or when we say something, explain why you're saying it, right? It could be that you've seen the data. It could be a belief. That's also fine. State it. It could be, okay, this is something that uh, business is focusing on, you know, for, for a strategic reason. Could be also something to put on the table. And then we, we discuss it. And sometimes we need to, I, I think we try to find a compromise simply to find something that doesn't make any of the people frustrated, let's say. And at least in my experience, I think most of the time it, it was uh, possible. Um, it's also a way for you to build shared understanding, yeah. both about the data and also the business problem you are trying to solve. And that can be a very powerful way of building that strength of collaboration and connections between you and the team members. Yes, I'm always very happy when I hear from team members when they say something like, "Okay, I really understand how this connects actually to the business or connects to the problem that users are facing right Uh, on, on the website. And I think that is actually very crucial because I really believe that always when we develop something, there's some some small decisions we make during the whole process. Sometimes we don't maybe even notice that it's a small decision or a decision at all. But knowing the context will help you to make the right small decisions there. And maybe if you make a wrong decision here and there, it's, it's not so bad. You will still solve the problem. But then if this accumulates too much and you make a bunch of small, wrong small decisions, you might actually end up not solving the problem that you started out to solve because you just missed certain things, right? So it's super important to make those things explicit as much as possible 
Great. So thank you very much for this. And I know that you have uh, written an article also summarizing some of the other lessons you have learned in your journey of becoming a data science team lead. We'll link to that article in the show note. Last but not least, based on everything we talk about, what would be one practical takeaway that you can share with the listeners that if they are either new on a data science team lead position or they are interested in becoming a data science team lead, what would be one practical takeaway that they can apply tomorrow? Always ask why we're solving a certain problem and ask many more whys until you get to the source problem. And I think if you do this often, you will you will be more able to recognize patterns that will form a bigger picture of the problems that your department or, or company is facing, which I think is crucial in the path of the development of a, of a lead. All right. Thank you very much, Min. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Just one last thing before you go. If you are not a data scientist yet, but want to become one, you should really attend our webinar. We will demystify the transition into data science. We'll show you the most effective way to build your skills, and we'll advise you on the four possible options you can take to go from where you are to landing a data science job in as little as nine months. Find out more at nds.show forward slash webinar. That is nds dot show forward slash webinar. All right, that's the end of this episode. Have a nice day. Mm-hmm.